Hey everyone, before we start today's Bonnie Vare 22 A Million episode of the Listen In Podcast, I just wanted to give a quick reminder to give us a follow on Twitter, at Listen In Pod. We have a lot of fun discussions on there with friends of the pod. We have fun polls. We recently did a Beetle Beard poll. Poll? Beater Beeled polled. It's a tongue twister, Sean. Uh, George came out on top, ahead of John and Paul. Also, if you're so inclined... Give us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it, and it helps grow the podcast. Let's start the show. Listening podcast, episode 40, what, Jake? 46? No. 47? 48? I think this is 44. 44. Jump. Wait, wait a minute. No, I'm going to check now because okay. we, we might have fucked that check up. Check it out. Either way, no matter what, we're talking Bon Iver this episode. We are. New album is out. 22 a million. Uh, is that supposed to sound like 22 a million? Like 20 dash a million? Like between 20 and a million? Is it like a... Is... Uh, see, that's a good question. So let's... I think this we... is episode forty-three. If you don't count last week, oh okay, all right. Episode I was jumping way ahead. Kendrick Perkins. Kendrick Perkins. Big Perk. Big Perk. I guess he's one of the most loved guys in the NBA. Perk. Like from by teammates. Oh okay. Kevin Durant was asked like who his favorite teammate ever was, and he said it was Perk. Are you serious? Yeah. I feel like that's a very diplomatic answer. But I guess a lot of people say it. I guess he's an awesome dude. Huh. Like really nice. That's cool. That's good. But we digress. You know who else is nice from everything I've surmised is Justin Vernon of Bonnie Bear. Who released a new album? Is he though? Because I feel like in a lot of you these... don't think he's nice. No, I th- I bet as just a person he's nice. I feel like the way he comes across through the media, through interviews, through sound bites, is that he is kind of a persnickety dude. Persnickety. Yeah. In he's that a little aloof. He's you know an artist. That, yeah. In that, I bet if you if you just hung out with him one on one, he's great. Yeah. But. The way he comes across seems to be... Like, for example, he was talking about how he doesn't like that Beyonce was doing an ad for Pepsi. It was He was like, oh, you're, a lot of young girls are looking up to you and you're like selling out for Pepsi, basically. Shilling for Pepsi. How do and you everyone, think this is, has affected I, his relationship with Kanye? Ah, I don't know. I, well, Kanye has said he's his favorite artist alive. Justin Vernon he, is. He, Kanye has said that about Justin Vernon. About That's Bonnie pretty Vernon. crazy. He's my favorite living artist, is what he said around oh, Twisted shit. Fantasy. When Imagine that was if out. you're him, if yeah. you're Justin Vernon getting that 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 accolade. Yeah. That's crazy. So he was talking about Beyonce with the Pepsi thing, which a part of this could be, oh, I have an album coming out in a week. I want to get a little buzz going about the the Justin Vernon Bon Iver brand outside of just talk about the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other part of this, too, is remember a few years ago he was doing ads for Bushmills Whiskey? Oh, yeah. It's like, dude, what are you thinking? Like, You, you think people just forgot about that? Theoretically, smaller time sort of business. Oh, sure, of course it is. Than, than Big Soda. No, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. But... Big pop. The, the sentiment's there. It's like, dude, you also were doing this this ad for this company. Like, you've been a shill, too. So, don't, don't. and that's what a lot of people are kind of calling him on. He's talked Fair about enough. how he doesn't like touring. He doesn't like the album cycle process of doing all the press for it, of Can having to go out and tour. That, no, I don't. I don't at all. Yeah. I, I would agree. I'd be like, yeah, it's probably a lot of bullshit. probably sucks where... You're forced to just answer all these questions about your art and and put it into a nice narrative with a with a neat bow on it, but that's kind of what comes along with the territory. Yeah, it is. So there's a give and take there. I understand where he's coming from, and that's why I say that if I were just talking one on one with him, he'd probably be a great guy. I'd probably agree with him. Yeah. But I think the way he comes across to general music fans or music Twitter or the narrative that's framed around him is yep. maybe he comes across as a little bit of a difficult guy. Maybe a little aloof. And here, here's one of our uh, a segue for you. He, one of our patented segues. Mm. You mentioned that he doesn't like answering questions, difficult questions or like annoying questions from the press. I'm sure one that has come up a lot is the fact that he has previously said there might not ever be Bon Iver again. Right. Here we are with Bon Iver again. Um, and this was a, a pleasant surprise well, to get this album. Very pleasant surprise because what I was hearing, I forget where I read this, was he was working on this. He was working on new Bonnie Iver music. And he was like, you know what? No, this isn't good. I'm just going to scrap it all. I forget who was talking to him. He, they were like, no, man. Like, what you have here is really good. Release this shit. 
Yeah. I forget. Oh, my God. Who was? I forget who it was. It was someone like we would kind of know. It sounds like what the the second hand uh, the, the Robin Pecknell that's what first mate in in yeah. Fleet Foxes had that's, to tell him that's right in this remember kinda, that NME interview that's or right. no not NME spin yeah that's right that's right I think something similar happened here where he was gonna scrap some things or start over and people were like no no you you have a good album here like you should release this yeah so that kind of happened again. He was he. We talked about this a few weeks ago on another podcast when this got released or when this got announced. Was that he's been involved in a lot of different projects? He's been working with Kanye. He's had Volcano Choir. He's been working with James Blake. So we we were thinking maybe he's content to just do these other things. Well, we were saying and let Bonnie Vare go. Sorry to cut you off. We were saying as recently as July. I think the day we went to see Get the Let Out. Yeah, we were driving back from the beach. After a wild experience, <laughs> we yeah. got the let out, dude. Yeah, we did. And uh, and we were like, you know, who's kind of coming up small is Justin Vernon. Right. Where's some new Bonnie Vare? Here we are. It's early October, and uh, we sure do have an album. It's, yeah, we it's do. Real good. It's so good. So, I guess let's let's dive into first first thoughts and yeah. opinions on this. My first listen to this was. Friday, no, it was technically Friday morning, or well, it was late Thursday, and it got released early on Apple Music. It was around like eleven thirty ish p.m. East Coast time. Listen to it clarification. as I was falling asleep, and it was the perfect right situation to be listening to it in. It was quiet, it was still, it was a headphones listen. Mm. Got that in, and I was like, this is. Amazing. This is exactly what I want. This is exactly what I need out of a new Bon Iver album. And immediately I was like, this this has potential for album of the year. You had a hot take tweet about that. I did. I was like, is it too early to say album of the year? Probably was a little too early, but that sentiment has remained since I've continued to listen. I haven't... Is it I've, your favorite I've, album of the year right now? It's in the conversation. It's up there. I still need some more time with it. I mean, it's, it's only been, what, four or five days. Yeah. So I need more time with it. It's definite. I would say it's easily in the top ten, easily. So my first take was I listened twice that first Friday it was out after you did. I listened. My first two listens were during work, so they were good listens. Could have been better. It was a situation where I was getting stuff done and I had it on. Mm. And I was really enjoying it, but there, I was at about eighty-five percent processor Not speed. Not the best. Yeah. Not ideal. Not ideal. So it was coming in. It was it was good. And then I had a few disjointed listens over the weekend. Right. We were hanging out on the deck. You know, you put it on, I missed some of the songs. We all drove to the fair, you threw it on, I heard it in the background. My best listen, though, came that Sunday night when I went out for a run to run off some of the fair food. Just a real <laughs> quick sidebar, I had myself a soup bowl, uh, a, bo- a bowl of soup in a bread bowl, yep. um, about half or three quarters of a bowl of fries, and a little ice cream cone with a strawberry Just gotta wet the beak a little Gotta wet the beak cream. out there at the fair. Um, and so after that, I was like, I should probably exercise a little or I might die tonight in my sleep <laughs> from this quantity of food. So on my, my run, popped on Bonnie Vare, um, and it was my first, like, holy shit listen, where I was picking up on, because I feel like your senses are a little more adept when you're out running. I, my first listen, actually, to Blonde by Frank Ocean was a similar situation. So on that listen, I was picking up on all the little horn flourishes, the vocal samples, all the different things he's weaving in, and it was my first where I really liked it. And this week I've been listening a ton. That's so interesting to me because what I forgot or didn't realize was when I put that on going to the fair that yeah. night in my car, I was like, oh, I've listened to this a ton now. Yeah. So is everyone else. Right. No. I was like, oh, no, that's not the case. Because what, what I've come to realize is that over the weekend you don't, you don't seem to get listens in on things. I, I do, the weekends are strong listening things for me where I get a lot of listens in. It doesn't seem that you do, and I take it for granted that I just have gotten all these listens in. Like I went to a wedding, I drove to one this weekend, and um, I was able to get some great car listens in, and they were really in depth experiences where I could hear a lot of the different things that were going on. Had that stereo up loud. Exactly. And I took that for granted where I was like, oh, of course, it's been a couple days now. Everyone else has also continued to listen to this. So I'll just put it on in the background. Yeah, over the weekend is, I don't know, usually I don't listen a ton over the weekend. My The bulk of when I get my listening done is 
during work and then right after work when I'm doing homework, I get a lot in. Um, I'm yeah, I listen more during the week. I'd say, or at least I have more serious like focused listens mm. during the week. Um, so what do we think about the the progression here of of his sound? So uh, we've seen Bonnie Vera taking steps as actually a band. So that's the other thing is that Bonnie Vera is a band. Right. They really are. Right. Um, I was looking today on Wikipedia, and this is something that gets lost in the whole media. And honestly, the way he even presents Bonnie Bear, it, it it seems like obviously he Justin Vernon is the creative force that drives it. But there is a band behind. There's the guys who play saxophone. There's a drummer. There's I assume a bass player. And I was looking today on Wikipedia, and there's lineups listed for each of the different albums, and each era has had different lineups. So okay, that's a great point because. Justin Vernon is the auteur of Bonnie Vare. Yeah. And there really doesn't seem to be any distinction between just Justin Vernon and Bonnie Vare. Like, Justin Vernon might as well just be named Bonnie Vare. Right. So I think the fact that there hasn't been one consistent lineup makes sense because I feel like you could just plug in whoever you need to on these things. Oh, I want this dude playing sax. I want this dude doing this. I feel like that makes sense for what he's trying to do. I don't think it's a traditional band in the sense that you know each of the the people in the lineup. But I'd say that listen to some of the consistency, though. So on For Emma, you had Justin Vernon. You had this guy, Mike Noyce, on guitar and vocals, Sean Carey on drums, keyboards, and vocals, and Matthew McCaughan uh, Mc, or something? Matthew McConaughey, yep, yep. Sure, sure. McConaughey, Sahara. He's on drums. All three of them... Uh, of those other dudes are on Bonnie Vare, Bonnie Vare from 2011, and all three of them, except Mike Noyce, so two of them are on 22 a million. And then you got this quick guy. Quick side note, quick side yeah, note yeah, yeah. Sean Carey, S. Carey, is a solo artist, played at Boston Calling when I was there, got to see him a little bit. Quick sidebar. Yeah, S. Um, Carey. And then you got this guy, Michael Lewis, on bass, saxophone, keyboards. He's on both Bonnie Vare, Bonnie Vare, and 22 a million. Um, so there's there's a fair amount of like the band staying together. But does it feel like it matters? No, well, but I'm saying that is how the story's perceived. Like we all I know he writes the music. Yeah. But I mean if so take this album for example. There's a ton of vocal sampling. There's a lot of horns on it. I'd say the saxophone is one of the defining instruments on this album. Yeah. On a song like what's that second to la- the third to last one 45 yeah. or whatever where it's like all those flourishes. <laughs> right, right, right. That right. is sort of permeates the whole record. Yeah. And um so I just think it's interesting that um the sound continues to progress and it's not only Justin Vernon who's responsible <laughs> right. for Right. Let me ask you this before we talk more about how things have kind of changed. Is it a lot of vocal samples, or is it a lot of vocal manipulation through this new machine that him and this sound en- engineer, I forget what his first name is, his last name is Messina or something, it's this new... Chris Messina, I think. Chris Messina, they, it's basically like a new auto-tune machine that they built specifically for this album that's manipulating Justin Vernon's voice. Is it... So, vocal sampling, or is it just his voice being manipulated? There's both. So if you look, I'm looking at the, the credits right now for the album. Yeah. Like, over soon has a sample of a song called How I Got Over by um, performed by Mahalia Jackson. Death Breast okay. has a sample of a song called Wild Heart by uh, Stevie Nicks. So there's okay. both his voice being manipulated I, through almost the whole album. Yeah. Every song features his voice being used in different there, ways, but it also features these samples that are coming in and out. Yeah. There's, like on, yeah, go ahead. There's certain songs, and I think a good example of that is uh, Stratford Apartments, where... Yeah. It sounds like it's a it's a guest vocal on it. It does. That has to be one of the most beautiful songs he's oh, ever written, right? Yes. That it the is. whole melody in that song yeah. and the little part near the end when he's singing that uh, that melody and yep. there's the crackling and his voice oh, cuts it, it, out. Like, cuts out. Yeah. yeah. And I, Jake yeah. and I had a moment. We were listening to this as a group outside. It was a nice fall, crisp <laughs> fall night. We're sitting out on our deck. We're all drinking some beers with our friends. We had this playing in the background. Stratford Apartments comes on. That specific part where the vocals break comes up, up and it, it, it's like it cut through whatever conversation was happening. Jake and I just look at each other as other people are talking all around us, and we had a look where we like just we kind of raised our eyebrows yeah. and we're like, "Fuck, man!" Like that was beautiful. Like one of those damn. Yeah. Looks. yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so yeah, the what are your thoughts generally on the album in terms of like as so I'm talking like cover name okay like general aesthetic okay. things 
So the name twenty two comma a million. Yeah, I, I like it. I really like it. I like it. I don't really like it. It's. You know what? He's done interesting things with commas on every album. The That's first true. one's been for Emma comma forever ago. Bonnie Vare. Bonnie Vare. Bonnie Vare. Twenty two. A million. It fits in as... The least symmetrical one. It is. Fits in aesthetically with what he's done in the past. It I does. like it in that regard. He's He's gone on and on about this whole idea about 22 and how it's followed him his whole life. I like that this has kind of been a nod to that and a summation of whatever that arc in his life has been to get him to this point. I like that. Kind of maybe exercising some demons, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Um I, I like I like the album title. It's not going to be my favorite album title of the year, probably. I love that. Can I just say a quick sidebar? The fact that we in our minds know, like, we have this ranking probably somewhere of our favorite album titles That's gonna, might make us neurotic. It does that and a lot of other reasons. It, many other things. But that's going to be one of the categories we talk about on our oh, end of the year recap is going to be favorite album cover, favorite album title. I sneaky love that shit even more. I don't I don't really like it more than ranking albums. It's more straight up fun. Yeah, it is. Because it's less, less stressful. Yeah, it's less stakes. Yeah, it's, it's, just, less, it's, it's all cool gut name. feel. Yeah, it is. Although cool, we've talked about this before. Cool covers and cool names are given a boost if the album's good. That is correct. The name gets better. So I think you know, I, I like this album cover as well. Yeah, I do too. Um, do I like it better than Bonnie Vare, Bonnie Vare? No, because I think that's an all time. It's amazing. That's an all time album cover. This one. There goes Shock Jock on his bike. Yeah, always. Really good. I like it. There's a lot going on with it. Um, Let me ask you this Did Justin Vernon get into like numerology or something? <laughs> Because, like, is he Jim Carrey from the number 23? Because on this cover I see, like, a pyramid that says 777. There's just all these weird, like, symbols. Like, kind of a yin-yang going on It's kind of like he went for a Led Zeppelin 4 thing where where each member got a symbol, but he's just like, I'm going to give myself, like, 50 (laughs) symbols. I'm going to have all these symbols. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a, there's, the the cover is just rife with these Well, I mean, if if you're talking Led Zeppelin, it's almost like it's Led Zeppelin 3, where they just put a lot of little things that had to do with flight on, on their album cover. It's almost like that, where it's a big collage of things. I honestly, I maybe have heard that, but I want to say I forgot that that's what the unifying theme is between all the things that are related with flight. Here's another question. With the song names, they're hard to pronounce, although I think I've come to figure out how, what to call them. I think I've gotten there. Because when we talked about the the first two songs a few podcasts ago, we were like, I don't even know what to call these songs. I feel like I generally know. But do you read it as, like, say you take track one. It's called 22, and then parentheses, over soon, with the O's being infinity symbols. Yep. And then you take <laughs> because two, of fucking course Of course they are. they are. Then you have ten death breaths with, like, two squares. Yep. Number three, seven fifteen creeks, are the song names over soon, death breast, creeks, God, Stratford apartments, T upside down T, moon water and circle, no. and that those numbers are dis like disembodied. From no, them? I think it. No, it's funny because it, logically you'd say either you disregard the numbers or the numbers are a part of the title. Yeah. I go. Somewhere in the middle, where some of them the numbers matter, some of them they don't. For example, I just call the first track over soon. I disregard the twenty-two. I disregard the ten on track two as well. I just call it death breast. I disregard it on track three. I just call it creeks. creeks. Track four though, I call it thirty-three god. I do too. Track six upside down. Track five, I call it twenty-nine Stratford apartments. So do I. But the misleading thing about that title is that it looks like it's number twenty-nine Stratford apartments. That's not what it is. No, it's not. It's twenty-nine number symbol (laughs) Stratford apartments. Right. Then this third one, I would only. I call it six six six. I disregard. It's either supposed to be an upside down T or an upside down cross. I don't know what that's supposed to be. I like that. I just call it six six six. I like that Moonwater has two diamonds as the Mm. O's. And the, and the thing is, is like my theory about the number coming ahead of the actual song title doesn't work with forty-five because that's just like four underscores, forty-five, yeah. five underscores. Yeah, yeah. And Weird song title. Zero a million. Looks like he has some co-writers on here too. I'm looking now. Someone named Burton. Yeah, but so I the the song titles are fascinating. So, what do you make of these? Is it just kind of an artistic flourish that's a little maybe over the top? Or is this something more? 
It's so hard. I mean, so like with a lot of them, you looking at Oversoon, Creeks, um, 666, Six is mentioned, Moonwater. There's a lot of songs on here where the title is actually mentioned. So it, it's yeah. not like just these random phrases. I don't know. I think it is just, I think he's trying to just kind of spice it up and do something funny. Maybe it was like the name of the files on his computer. Yeah, that's But why would you too. have infinity symbols in right. Oversoon or or diamonds in Moonwater? Right. I don't know why you would, I, so I think it is like an artistic thing. I think it's to go along with the cover with all the symbol, yeah. like symbolism on there. Yeah. All the different symbols he's playing around with. I myself have not kind of gone really in depth on these numbers. I, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But I don't really care other than that. I like I'm not looking too deeply into this. I'm thinking of it more of like uh, this is just kind of an artistic flourish. To, yeah, people you know, will try to to break it down and like I'm break not, down what the I numbers don't care are. Enough about I it. bet it's pretty random. I bet it means something to him. And that if you have some theory like oh, if you add up twenty two and ten, that's thirty two. Subtract that from seven fifteen, and you get something in the six hundreds. I'm yeah. not gonna. I guess it would be what. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't. I don't. Six eighty three. That that's not compelling content. Doing mental math. It's not. No. <laughs> Seems like good radio. <laughs> um, I want to go back for a second to the progression of Bonnie Vare's sound. So, with For Emma Forever Ago, you have a really straightforward acoustic album, folk album. But also, I, and I remember when I first got that, I was in, was I in maybe high school, senior in high school, yeah. maybe freshman in college, roughly. I remember getting it. After hearing Skinny uh, Skinny Love and hearing a lot of the other songs on there and being like, this isn't totally what I expected. It's taking elements of folk music and acoustic music that I know and understand, but doing different things with it yeah, that are rules. a little unsettling at first if you're not used to it. And it took me a little bit to get into it. Now that sound seems so straightforward. And then you f- f- um, fast forward to Bon Iver, Bon Iver, where on songs like Hallocene and there's some other ones where it's still doing that acoustic thing. But then you have songs like Calgary or Beth Rest or Perth that are getting a little more electric and electronic yeah, and doing a little more experimental thing. So it's kind of like the hybrid of for Emma and a, with 22 a million and then it seems like 22 a million is the progression that he was always trying to get to it seems like this is a fully formed fully fleshed out sound especially considering what he's done with Kanye with the vocal manipulation what he's done with Volcano Choir with some of the more electric bigger sounds that have been done with that so yeah. it seems like this has been the natural progression for what Justin Vernon and for what Bonnie Vare has always tried to get to I've heard a lot of people and I've read a lot of pieces comparing it to this is Bonnie Bear's Kid A yeah I, I think in a lot of ways um, that the second record is actually his biggest grandest sounding album and that for Emma uh, on one end and 22 a million on the other are kind of minimal departures from that sound in opposite directions. So for Emma, when he starts off, he's like it's all pretty much all acoustic with a little bit of flourish here and there. Then he builds it all up. I feel like the middle album had a, a like probably the biggest sound in terms of like a full band on most songs. Mm-hmm. With this one, he's stripped away a lot of the more organic sounds out of it, and it's most it's like I'd say mostly an electronic album. Yeah, there's some acoustic guitars, but I feel like he's gone the other way. So it, I think you can almost look at it as this like triangle almost we're like yeah. these are all the possible components of Justin Vernon and Bonnie Bear sound and I feel like they all come together on the second record yeah and that more of his acoustic side is showcased on the first one more of his the electronic purely experimental side is showcased on this album well I th- I like that I like that theory I like that take you could also make the argument though that like a song like 29 Stratford Apartments is doing the same thing that is done on like Hallocene and like that's this album's Hallocene and then the, I, it is more electronic it is more experimental I don't think it's 
I think it's a lot more minimal. Holocene is a huge song. Yes, it is, dude. Holocene well, okay, has yes. these huge Stra- harmonies. Stratford Apartments is more minimal. I think there's songs on here like 33 God yeah. and Death Breast, mm-hmm. which are bigger than anything that was on Bon Iver, Bon Iver. I don't think they're, they have a bigger sound than Holocene. I think they do. Or like Beth Rat. I think those songs have a really like epic build to them. Or I, I think in terms of... Like, Perth, dude. Perth has yeah, this Perth, epic yeah, build-up. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I like what you're saying about it's kind of a triangle. I think there's more that this album has in common with Bon Iver, Bon Iver than yeah. either oh. of them has with, with Ferema. Yeah, well, that's the other it thing. It does was... feel like they've all built on each other, though, to get to this. And there's elements of all three, or all or the past two, in this one as well. There are. And I was going to say that also is that I think that the greatest outlier is actually Ferema. The one that's yeah, the least is. similar to... Yeah, if you're going to pick one that's less similar with the other two, it's it's Ferema. To, to me, I like I like the comparison to Kid A because it's like you have The Benz, which is a great straight-ahead rock album in a lot of ways. It's like they took that sound to the maximum point that they could take it. They couldn't do anything else with that. Then you have OK Computer, which takes a lot of those elements and then mixes it in with some more experimental electronic yeah. sounds. And then you have the fully blown out experimental electronic with Kid A. I feel like that's kind of the progression we've seen with Bonnie Vare with yeah. these three albums as just, well. Just to restate what I mean, like so, say for example, like look at the the track list. So like Twenty Nine Stratford Apartments is the only one I can think of that's and it's a warped sounding acoustic guitar that's really driven by acoustic mm. guitar, where it's like it, acoustic instruments are sort of the the basic component that the song's being laid down on. If you think about the elements that Bon Iver added from album one to album two, it's like the horns, it's the synths, it's the sampling, or like the vocal manipulation. I feel like that stuff is carried over and he's kind of stripped back that mm-hmm. first element of Bon Iver. So it's almost like he took the bass, in my mind, added a shit ton of stuff to it for the second album, and then stripped away some of the previous mm-hmm. stuff. That's, I guess, what I mean, really. Okay, yeah, that no, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. What do you think the next iteration... Of Bonnie Vera, Justin Vernon is. Does he stay in kind of this pattern of I have kind of these three things to choose from, these three different palettes to choose from, or does he go a completely different direction, or does he continue with this this one where the next one's kind of just another riff on what he's doing on Twenty Two A Million? I mean, it's so hard to or say. Does he give us another stripped back folk album? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to say. Like, I with this with him more than anyone. I get this feeling that he just follows his muse sort of no matter what it is, yeah. no matter if it's sort of embarrassing or if it's sort of what, like for like Beth Rest is the the classic example on the last album. But on this album, the last track, the 0000, a million, just million, that song actually reminds me of like country music, mm-hmm. the, the melody in that it actually reminds me of a specific country song. It reminds me of that Zach Brown song where the melody is like... Um, that but I'm stuck in colder weather song. I don't know if you've ever heard. I don't that. know that song. But the melody in it's like really. Similar. I don't listen to trash music. No, right. I'm just kidding. I'm uh, kidding. Yeah, big big shout to Zach Brown. <laughs> um, it reminds me of like kind of a pop country song, but yeah. through the like warped lens of uh, of of what Justin Vernon brings to the table. So I, I forget what got me started on that because we talked just kind about of this progression of where he's gonna go next. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's hard to say. He seems to. I mean, like, doesn't he have an Indigo Girls tattoo and stuff? <laughs> like, no matter what he, whatever he's into, he's I, gonna... I feel like he is a dude who has a tattoo of like the Deathly Hallows on his forearm or something. <laughs> he does. Like, just the triangle with like the Elder Wand and like the Resurrection Stone and like, yeah, it's like, oh, that's just a Harry Potter tattoo. Just a quick Harry Potter reference yeah. for you. Yeah, maybe he like scores a movie or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting. It's a good question. Totally it's hard to that. speculate. Where do you think he'll go with it? Uh, I feel like he has reached where he wants to be mm-hmm. as an artist maybe he'll rap yeah maybe he will he maybe on the next Kanye album yeah I feel like he's gonna play in this area For I really think he likes doing the vocal manipulation I think on a song like like Creeks um, where there's no instrument it's just his voice mm-hmm. filtered through that Messina machine uh, to, to amazing results yeah. I think that's more of what you're going to see. That feels like he's building on what he was doing with Woods on yeah, the yeah. the Blood Bank EP. It's just blown out to an even bigger degree. Well, and that's what's cool about it is 
in predicting what his sound will be next, I do think, yeah, you have to look at the elements of what he's done on every album because there have been these sort of different unifying threads. Like, that's an example of a song where, like you said, it's very similar to Woods. You have the the different, his all his voice just octave shifted and pitch shifted to, to harmonize. That's been a, a common theme. Another has been, like, the trademark falsetto. Right. Another theme has been the, his, like, the, lower d- the voice. deep voice, the deeper yeah. voice. So when you get into a Bonnie Vera album, there's always things that let you know it's him right. and that it's them. Right. Um, but yeah, the way the sounds shift, it's harder to predict. I mean, I assume horns will remain apart. I think that he's gonna rather than strip it all the way back. I think he'll stay somewhat with with more you know uh, production. Agreed. Before we get into our favorite moments from this album or our favorite songs, I want to ask you about what you think the average Bonnie Vare fan reaction to this was? Because when I talk to a lot of people who don't inhale and consume as much music as we do, especially maybe as much experimental music, yeah, the, almost everyone I, I've encountered has said, oh, it's really different. Interesting. And to me, everything about this is insanely accessible to the point of like it's just like very poppy and catchy but i can see why other people would be like oh this is really different like i was talking to one of our friends on friday she came over and she was like i don't know how i feel about it i was like are you serious like i think this is amazing she's like yeah it's like it's kind of weird and then i was listening to it with my girlfriend and she was like oh it was uh moon water it's like when it's all that like i can understand it was like the dissonant like horns she's like oh this is really different i was like oh yeah i guess it is i don't realize that but what do you make of that like do you think this is maybe alienating to some i'll put it this way yes it probably is for me an artist making their leap towards their experimental phase is absolute catnip it's like my favorite thing in a career arc when radiohead did it when the beatles did it no matter who it is eh, rolling stones may be an exception but if you're like a musical artist and you're getting into your experimental phase i'm pumped so it's I don't know, but to put myself in someone else's shoes, the thing is, is if you've remained a Bonnie Vare fan, you've already seen this, huge shift. This is a normal progression. Yeah, because you went from Forema to uh, Bonnie Vare, Bonnie Vare, which I feel like was a huge, shift. huge. I mean, there were there this were feels more... this feels like less of a transition between Bonnie Vare, Bonnie Vare to twenty to a million than Forema did to Bonnie Vare. I guess what you could say is that if you took the absolute weirdest components of Bonnie Vare, Bonnie Vare. And put them on an album and made them a little weirder. This is what you'd get. So I get that because I think when that album came out, people were like, "Okay, there's some different sounds." Now all of a sudden there's horns. Now all of a sudden there's drums and like distorted guitars and weird samples. Um, but with this record, he took all the weird things and that was the framework on like on which he built the album. So I get that. Um, but I don't think anyone at this point should be like expecting another Forema. You know no, what I mean? Like, no, it, no. There, there's no reason to. No. Um, given what we've seen from him, and like with his work with Volcano Choir, right? So I don't think it should be a big surprise. I mean, obviously, there's no accounting for taste. I can't speak for right. Everybody's and I, I, taste. I think too, there's an element of we will listen to more experimental, atmospheric, yeah. e- electronic music that like, maybe primes us to think something like this is very normal. Yeah, like I like that stuff. I do. Too, I mean, yeah. The thing is, is like this is an album you you've made comparisons to Kid A a couple times, right? If you like that era Radiohead, if you are into like Radiohead or bands that make a jump towards electronic, sparse, experimental music, you're gonna love this album. Yeah. yeah if yeah. you don't like that stuff, it it I mean that's the way he went with it. Yeah. Um, I I feel like as a rounded music fan, if you just like music in general. I think you'll you'll find plenty to like on this in terms of just the creative yeah. leap he's taken. One hundred percent in a bunch of different directions. Yeah. Um, all right. You want to get into our favorite moments? Yeah. On the album, definitely. So, I'll start. So I I'm gonna start with uh, track six 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 under <laughs> upside down T. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite moments on that track. There's two. I love the little like. Like this, there's this yeah. like it sounds yeah. like a record scratching, mm-hmm. but it goes to the beat, like that. Yeah. I also love the drums that come in with those mm. like, like the really sort of like propulsive. Yeah. It sounds like a, maybe a kettle drum or just a big floor tom. Yeah. 
drum that's being hit with, I think, probably mallets instead of drumsticks. It's an awesome sound. Yep. Um, that song has a really cool groove to it. So, like, those two moments on that song, I think. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I really, really like those two. Um, speaking of drums and, like, beats kicking in, one of, or two of my favorite moments come on 33 God. So 33 mm. God starts out as, you know, it's a little more subdued. It builds, it builds. The and piano. then... It, yeah, the, it starts with the piano. Then it comes in with that staying at the Ace Hotel yep. lyric, and it kind of crashes in with right, that. Right, right, right. And then that part comes back, and um, it, it it's like it builds a little. He's like, not going to need you any time. Was going to take it as it goes. I could go forward in the light. Well, I better fold my clothes. Do do do. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of rapping there. Yeah, he, yeah, he is, and it it really really builds and it crashes in. That's one of my favorite moments. To build off that on that same song, there's a vocal sample in that song. I don't know what he's saying, but it sounds like night night. Like that's how yeah. he kind of sings it. And when it hits in that song, yep. I fucking die every time it fits something. about there's something I don't know if anyone if you can. Like, if you know this feeling, but there's something to do with just the way that voice sounds over that chord or something. It just kills me. Yeah. So, there's little moments like that that happen throughout this album. Just the way he sings certain yeah. things. On Over Soon, there, there's one. It's in it's in the second verse. It's, it's the line. He just goes, there isn't ceiling in our garden. Yeah. There's something about the way he says it. There's this little, like, just extra feeling yeah. in his voice when he's saying it and there's this little guitar flourish that happens before it love that part. and and it's like that part is so beautiful to me it comes it comes so early in the album too i listen for that specifically every single time and it just gets me um that's a great example of just the way he sings specific things not even manipulated just normal really really hits home um, we already spoke to this one, but on Stratford Apartments, the part where the voice breaks down yeah. a little bit. Oh, my God. And just yeah. the general melody of that yep. song, the way it builds. Um, the, um, da, 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 that melody yep. that he does there is, is, yep. is awesome. It's really beautiful. And the fact that the whole song, you don't hear his real voice. What's funny about that is it's a high-pitched voice. And I love that he made the choice not to sing it in his normal falsetto. But I think to sing it in his normal voice and pitch it up, yeah, because it gives a whole different sound. Yes, because he does. That's right in the range of his falsetto yeah, tone. That's right. So that's it's right. interesting that he made that choice. Speaking of vocal manipulation, I want to talk about Seven Fifteen Creeks. Mm. So this is the one we've been talking about, where it's just filtered through that Messina machine, which is a lot like the, the Machina. The Machina. I just made that up. <laughs> I like that. I like that Machina, uh, which is a lot just like the auto tune. Which we've seen a progression of in pop music for years now, for basically the last decade. Um, so this is just him singing. There's no other instrumentation. There's no drums. There's nothing else here. And it really makes you focus in on what he's saying. Yeah. This, to me, is one of the most heart-wrenching songs on the album. Um, and there's, there's a point where he says... Honey, understand that I've been left here in the reeds. And it, it gets really loud and like really passionate. But all I'm trying to do is get my feet up from the crease. Yeah. And not creeks, by the way. Which is interesting. When I it's heard it, creeks. I thought it was creeks. It, I thought so too. And then I watched the lyric video for oh, it. It's crease. Very interesting. Um, that part kills me. And then as he kind of gets away from that and it's, it's fading out, he goes, Turn around, you're my A team. Turn Is around. it A-Team? A-team. I thought it was. Turn around now, you're my A-Team. Goddamn turn around now, you're my A-Team. Yeah. I love the way that that song ends. That's actually my, that's my favorite song on this album. Really? Is 715 Creeks. Um, a lot of great moments on that. Those those few in particular are my I, favorites. I think I have a harder time picking my favorite. I think right now the one that has jumped ahead of the pack a little bit is Stratford Apartments. Yeah, that one's up there for me too. That one's that jumped one's ahead. Creeks would be in like the top four-ish. I think Oversoon yep. is still up there. 33 God is so up there good. for me. When I first heard 33 God, like on its own before this album came out, because I think that was the third single. It was. Yeah. Quote unquote single. It came out like alone. It came out alone. Um, I was like, yeah, I like it. I don't like it as much as Over Soon or Death Breast. But it's grown in the me. context of the album, I think I like that better than both of those songs. I don't know if it's because I've heard both those 
more so now, or I've gotten a little like tired of them. Well, and from the versions of Oversoon and Death Press that were released, there's like I'd say probably twenty to twenty five seconds of each that's not there on the album. Yeah, both songs end more abruptly yep. than they do on the record. Like I mean, than they do in the single version. Like Oversoon, there's a whole thing of basically synths. Yep, just sort of like echoey ambient synths that end the single version. And on Death Press, there's a whole other like sung vocal thing that's not on the song anymore. It ends before that. That Yeah, that's interesting because you pointed that out to me and I didn't really notice that. First, your first few times through? Like that it was missing. Oh, really? I actually still have it. I couldn't tell you like what's missing. I think you listened to those songs more than I did Maybe. before this album started so you had a better idea of like what they were. Um, but another favorite moment for me is uh, the way... Justin Vernon delivers the lyric on 45 about I've been caught in a fire. And he yes. kind of has that, it's it's a refrain, I've been caught in a fire. And he has that like lower vocal delivery on yeah. it. I really, really like the way he does that. I really like on 45 the weaving sort of, they sound wild, but they're they're contained and they're definitely written that way, the horns. Yeah. It's the, such a wild tone they're getting out of that. I, I don't know if it's like, do you think they're using one sax and like manipulating the sound on that using the machine maybe? Using that the machina as we dubbed it? <laughs> they could be. Yeah. Cuz it's like this really cool tone where like one is higher. One, I mean I know you could do that with an alto and a soprano yeah. or whatever, but yeah. it sounds like there's some manipulation going on. That's one of my favorite parts. Also the vocal on Moonwater. The way his voice yeah. just sounds when he sings Moonwater. Yeah. That part. So what do you make of the kind of those dissonant sounds that are kind of the exit loot of, of Moonwater. I, I like it. It reminds me of some of the elements on Bon Iver, Bon Iver, when it would get a little more experimental. Yeah. Well, like, so with that song, I feel like what's interesting is that you can almost break this album into halves kind of cleanly. Yes. I was, yeah, I wanted to bring that up. It's, I wanted to bring up sequencing. Well, okay, here's an interesting point. So through the first six songs, I'd say those are all pretty accessible. Those are like... The, very the, very accessible very. then when you get to million the last song that's pretty accessible I guess you could say eight is two circle yeah so really the two sort of weird moments happen on the back half and they're moon water and they're in 45 yeah and that's when there's dissonance there's weird sampling of instruments there's less emphasis on melody yes and less emphasis on things that you traditionally would associate with Bonnie Bear yeah so I think that gives the illusion that oh the back half is weird it, I, I realized today when I was listening it's really not that weird compared to the first half. I think it is a, the songs are a, a hair weaker. They're not quite as good overall, yep. which is not they're still great songs and that there's that experimentation going on in those tracks and it's sort of off-putting at first. The first half of this album is so fucking strong. First 6 songs, so strong. Yeah, it's, it's the strongest half of an album I think of maybe any this year. And it's not even half. It's like the first 60% of the album up to God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I yeah. What I was going to say, I mean, if you have songs like 22 over soon, Death Breast, mm -hmm. you know, those were singles. Those were the first two yeah. songs. Very very strong. My favorite's Creeks, 33 God is probably my second favorite. Stratford Apartments is your favorite and one of the most beautiful songs on there. It's insanely strong. Yeah. And then you're right. You get into the back half. Do you so do you think this sequencing is to its credit or to its detriment? Well, it depends who you're asking. So right. I think if if you're going to talk about is it to its credit or detriment in terms of winning over new listeners, um well, actually, I was going to say it would be to its detriment, but it might be to its credit, because it's front-loaded. It hooks you, yeah, exactly. It's front-loaded. Yeah, yeah. um, and for li seasoned listeners of Bon Iver, it's a similar thing, where you get what you want right away, and then there's, ooh, later on, he's right. doing some weirder stuff. So I'm going to say to its credit. I think credit. overall, it's to its credit. Yeah, I think it's to yeah. its credit. Um, so I've uh, one thing that I've heard on a few different channels, whether it be reviews or people on Twitter saying Eight Circles one of their favorite songs, one of the highlights. So I have and, and I heard that and I knew that going in to the first listen and the in the subsequent listens after that. And I was always like, oh yeah, Eight Circle, that's supposed to be great. It hasn't hooked me as much as it has other people, I guess. I know what you mean. I feel like 
I realized today while I was listening to the album that I had my best listen to Eight Circle today. Yeah. But I still don't think I'd rank it in my top half of the album. I wouldn't album. either. It would be in the bottom half. It would probably maybe even be in the bottom three if it I really would. thought about it. I, I'll give you a ranking. I'll, I'll, I'll rank song. I'll rank it from one to ten right now. Okay, go ahead. If you want. Number one is Creeks. Number two, 33 God. Number three, 29 Stratford Apartments. Number four, Oversoon. Number five, Death Breast. Number six, 666, fittingly. Number seven, 45. Mm-hmm. Number eight, 8 Circle, also fitting. That was These are not on purpose, by the way. This is just how they're falling out. It's number nine is zero million. Number 10 is 21 Moonwater. Okay, yeah, I, I can dig that rating. It's probably similar to what mine would be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something about 8 Circle... Um, I like it. it. It's sort of this album's Beth Rest. And it has a similar um, sort of droning synth sound throughout. Like the, the chords, um, it ha- I think it's a similar tone to what yeah, he used in it, Beth yeah. Rest. What's interesting too is his vocal delivery. It's one of the most straightforward vocal deliveries he has on the whole album. Yeah, that's too. why people like it so much. Yeah. That might be like it's the it calling card. Right. Because it is one of the more straight ahead songs on there. And it's in the midst of a bunch of craziness. It's yeah. right in the middle of Moonwater and 45. Where it's also it, where the, stuff's getting kind of weird. It's also the longest song on it by yeah. far, by about a minute. Um, to me, it's always... There's nothing wrong with it. It always does feel a little bit long compared to everything else on it. I could see that, and I think I've had that thought. I think um, in more recent listens, it's been growing on me. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think that, and I didn't know that people were saying that this was like one to check out, yeah. or that it was one of the better songs, because um, it wouldn't be one I would tell people. No. I'd be like, oh, check out Over Soon, check out uh, Stratford Apartments, Creeks, Death yeah. Rest. Um, yeah, Eight Circle didn't necessarily come to mind as like, Right, a a best song. But yeah, here. that's that's been I've heard that spoken to a few different times. That's really interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the Pitchfork review itself called it out. They're like, there, I I it stops me in its tracks every or stops me in my tracks every time I hear really this specific line. He he even sings it in a similar way to the way he sings he, Beth. He West. does. It, Where it's like of, it's the straight ahead. Like if there's just a straight ahead Justin Vernon vocal, it's the one he uses yeah. there. Yep, um, absolutely. Um, overall thoughts. On this album, Jake, in terms of what it means for Bonnie Vare, who is maybe one of the most, I think, interesting artists, maybe one of the most important artists we have Kanye's going favorite. right now, Kanye's favorite living artist. What do you think it means for him? What do you think it means for this amazing 2016 we've had so far? Just another feather in 2016's cap, I yeah. guess, in terms of what it means for the year. What it means for him. I think Justin Vernon was always going to continue making interesting music, regardless of the setting, whether it's Volcano Choir, whether it was just another solo project or whatever. But I think it certainly helps him out because I think it's being received really well critically. Fans are getting there on it, and it's just another progression for him sonically in every way. So, I mean, I've been loving it. Personally, I'm, I'm really feeling it. Um, I, I, I mean, what else can you say? I think it's a great progression for his sound, just for him as an artist and everything. Do you think that because of how strong this year has been and how strong this September has been in particular, this gets lost in the shuffle a little bit? For Compared to other years where if this came out in 2014, a weak year overall, this is clearly the best. This is clearly head and shoulders above anything else in sure. 2014. Are you talking year-end lists? Year-end like lists and kind or of... other people's? In general, I'm talking like legacy of this album in the year 2016 like when people look back it's 2020 and people are talking about the year and the decade in music yeah are they like 2016 because bonnie Vare and mm. these other four albums i think he's one of the ones who's in the mix because i think we do that with 2012 right now like 2012 was amazing because of frank and i i, can't, I always think it came out in 2000 frank did bonnie Vare was 2011 I know, 2011 I think we say 2011 because of Bonnie Vare and these other ones, and, we, and that's a good example too. 2012 we say because of Frank, Japan Droids, Beach Beach House. So will this be one of the ones that's called yeah. out? I think it will because I think more than almost any artist um, to come out of that folk scene of like 2008 ish, yeah. 2007, whenever uh, was it 2008 the first album came 2009. out? 2009. Uh, 2008. Yeah, whatever that was. He has more cultural cachet, more critics 
are all in on Bonnie Iver than almost any artist I can think of. I just, even if you di didn't listen to it enough and you were a critic, it would be really easy to to go back to the Bonnie Iver yep. bell cow and just be like, oh yeah, oh that's one of the best albums of right. the year. So I think it will actually get a boost on name alone. Yeah, I'm not saying right. it doesn't right. deserve it because I, I mean. I still don't know where it'll fit in my top ten. I imagine it will be high, um, which is spoiler alert. It'll probably be in my top ten. But I feel like for most critics who are just trying to get through the year and they, it's their job and they have a lot to deal with, a lot of albums. I feel like it's just an easy pick. Yeah, you know, everyone else is going to put it there. Yeah, I no one's no one's going to bat an eyelash. You're not really making any waves by putting Bonnie Fair in your top five no, or ten. No, definitely not. So I, I, I think where if you put a more straight ahead rock album, like if you put a like Symbols Eat Guitars or Touche Amore or something like that, you're like, oh, shit. Right. And the or Hotel Year. You're like, other, wow. The other thing is consider in our lists, like yours and mine alone, um, and some of the listeners of this podcast, how much of that's made up of that that emergent pop, pop punk emo scene. Yeah. A lot of that stuff is not taken as seriously year-end as we're going to take it. Right. So that's right. I think on just like, like net total it's gonna come out probably really high agree. on year-end lists yep. totally agree now I, the last thing i wanted to bring up was the the runtime it's a it's a tight 34 minutes it's yeah. quick you know what for the first time i think i'll ever say this i could have used more me too thank you that was my takeaway too i was like i want a little more from this yeah because and that's not even necessarily that negative but it's like I mean, we just want to have our cake and eat it too. We because we can play. This is right in that wheelhouse. Yep. We always say yep. we always want it between thirty and forty minutes. But when you're Bonnie Vare, I'll listen to a forty-five minute album. Here's the I thing, definitely though. Would. And this just struck me as odd. So for Emma Forever Go, guess how long that album is? Um, forty minutes. Thirty-seven. Okay, and the guess second? how long the second album is? Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. I get it. Nice. Yeah. And I think I remember seeing that on Wikipedia. So it's like those always struck me as longer than they actually are in a good way. Yeah. This one's only thirty four. It does five feel, full minutes shorter. It than the does. Fe and it feel that's what I, I want. Like another five minutes on this. That's what I want. That's all I want. I want another five minutes. Well, another thing is the first four songs absolutely fly by. Yes, they do. Because Oversoon is two forty eight. Death Press is two twenty four. Creeks is two twelve, and then you have thirty three gods three thirty three, which is awesome. That's, by the way, oh, that's I hadn't noticed purpose. that until that's right now. Is there like silence in that song that pads? There's got to be. We we should look at that after the fact. There's got to be. There's, that's pretty cool. It's a shame that's not track three because he went that, with a lot of track lists, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, numbers adding up. Either way, if track three was thirty three at three thirty three, that'd be really cool. But so, anyways, to my larger point. That first four-song stretch is over in like uh, ten minutes. Yeah, and then and then you have songs on the back half like Eight Circle that are half that long. That's right. Um, but but early on you're just like it, it flies by. Yeah, and I think that adds to that feeling of like shit. This is like it's it's so quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could use another five minutes on it. That's not. I'm not gonna like. Ding it for that! I'll never no. ding an album for being too short. Really? Well, unless this was like, yeah, if you came out with an album that was like eleven minutes right, long, right, and called it an album, then maybe, although Joyce Manor would do that, and I'd probably be pumped. <laughs> no, because it would of, have like nineteen songs. Speaking of New Cody coming out Friday, I'm pumped, man. I'm excited. He was on the Celebration Rock podcast. Big shout to Stephen Hyden, big friend of the big pod. friend of the pod, um, big inspiration. Uh, but Barry. From uh, for awesome name, I didn't expect Barry to be the name of a dude from Joyce Manor. I like, I just didn't. Like, I picture Barry is a black dude. I'm just gonna say, it. you yeah. got Barry White, you got Barry Sanders, and Barry Obama, Barry Obama, <laughs> and Barry from Joyce Manor. He go. was a great interview, and it got me pumped. I was listening to those two singles that came out. I can't remember the name. Fake ID and. Uh, never see me again. Something like that. Something like that. They're both really, really catchy. I'm pumped for some, some more joy. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. We got again. This we'll is just talking about that next week. Every week is another huge release, and that's to my point about does this get lost in the shuffle? Because in years past, you get to just digest Bonnie Vare for a, a few weeks, maybe even a month. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, we're on to we got Joyce Manor. We got other stuff coming out. Yeah, that could happen to us because for us, this is the first year we've ever done this thing where it's like. 
we both have to be accountable for right. all the albums right. we could possibly want to listen to, right? So that we can discuss them on the podcast. Um, I feel like for the average critic, it's just gonna it's gonna stay up because yeah. I don't think like if you're writing for Rolling Stone or Spin or like NME. You're not seeing Joyce Manor and thinking, oh, this is going to be way up there. No, you're not. You know, yeah. actually, and Joyce Manor is one of, the, I think, the most respected of that scene. It is. Yeah, they are. Um, did you know that dude's almost 30? Yes, I did, I, I did know that. I didn't know that until yesterday. I read a feature on them. Uh, it might have been in Stereo Gum. Stere- shout out to Stereo Gum. Big shout. Big they write the awesome features on bands from that scene yeah. that don't get the mainstream publicity that they deserve was the like, Christian Holden interview stereo gun? Christian Holden was on that the, the hotelier one the beach slang feature oh, yeah. was on that which was really really good uh, I think they wrote about modern baseball as well yeah what they you do also wrote about modern features. baseball sorry to cut you off is the New York Times that's right which was crazy whoever was doing uh PR for modern baseball in this album cycle crushed it they should I, I hope they had a, a, a solid percentage in album sales or something because they deserve a lot they of money for what they did. Rushed it. Whoever, I I feel like their their label. Uh, who is it? Uh, was it Run for Cover? Top Shelf? Who is it? I think it? it's Run for Cover. Run for Cover. Yeah. They must. Their whoever their PR person was working overtime this year because they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, they did. You so bringing up Joyce Manor brings up a good point in that. What do we? So our schedule going forward, looking ahead, we got Beatles this Thursday. Yeah. Right. That's what we're recording Thursday. Yep. Then next week we'll talk Joyce Manor. When are we? When are we planning to do our fall music podcast? Maybe that following week. Maybe I think maybe we can do a Joyce Manor and fall music one because yeah. you know Joyce Manor. It's a twenty-five minute album. Yeah, it's not going to be the analysis that Bonnie Vare yeah was or and 25 is. minutes that's like Sandinista for that <laughs> I was gonna say it's like a triple it's like the yeah. river and the white album all rolled into it's, one it's there all things must pass yeah triple LP by Joyce Manor I'm really excited for that record. I'm pumped I'm very I'm pumped. very it's excited. gonna be good I'm excited we're going camping this weekend Me too. we're gonna listen to that in the car yeah, we're we gonna it's gonna be good we got a lot of good albums that are gonna be big time and place albums if you know what I mean where I feel like Bonnie Vare is one of them. I feel like Hamilton, Lighthouser, and Rostam is one. Which, if I can make just a quick shout, that album just continues to grow on me. Holy shit. Just continues to grow on me. That album. I love every song on that album at this point. So good. It's really, really good. Uh, Hamilton, as a singer, I, I always knew I liked his voice. I never realized the range of talent he had. Oh he can God. sing it. I feel like Rostam brought out his He A-game. did. He had to have... I just a, a really great record. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, and like I've seen you and Josh and and Ryan, all friends of the pod, talking on Twitter about how packed the top ten, fifteen yeah. albums will be for the year. That's just another one. That and Bonnie Vera in the same month, I know. potentially Joyce Manor. I know. Well, within the same period, but I mean it's a lot packed into into one it's year. It's a ton- September was a heavy heavy month in terms of of good albums that came out. Because on top of that. You know, you had um, uh, Symbols E Guitars, you had Nick Cave, yeah, you know, you had a few other ones that we've talked about. Angel Olsen will be high on some people's list, it won't make it that high. Preoccupation, Touche More, Beach Slang. Where's Preoccupation's gonna go for you? It's not gonna rank high, I'm gonna be honest with you. I haven't had the interest in going back after that first week. It's a fine album. It's good. Yeah, that's it's not great. I'm not gonna, I'm not going back and listening. I'm not interested in it. You know what I think is my favorite song on it? Fever. I think it's the last track. Fever's really good, yeah. And it doesn't get any play. I was looking on Spotify, it's not even remotely close to their top played songs. I don't know, I think it might be like one of the least played on the album. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. I really like that song. And then, yeah, Touche Amore, which weird is I had that first initial burst with it. Me too. I haven't gone back. I haven't either. Not because I don't... There's been so much other stuff. Yeah, that's what it is. It's Yeah, it's that's been too much stuff. Yeah. Too many albums. Yeah. Like Beach Slang. Dude, I barely have gone back to yeah. Beach Slang. I, I had a nice little run a yeah. few couple days where I was like, oh shit, this is better than I first thought it was. So, yeah. I, there's good. Like I said, September's been packed. Um, Wake me up when September ends, Sean. Oh wait, we're four days into October. <laughs> big shout to DZAC, big friend of the pod. Birthday Today. for DZAC. That's right. That's right. Uh, final thoughts, Jake? Um... No, I think I just about exhausted them. <laughs> yep, Those yep. were all the final thoughts. Same here. All right, we will see you next time for our Top 50 Beatles songs. Oh, yeah. See, see you then, guys.
we are live. Okay. From New York, it's Saturday night. It's Saturday night. What's the deal with it's that Tuesday show? Night. Is that is that still culturally relevant? Is yeah. that still like a It is. Is it though? Is it? Yes. It is, but it's not like a bastion of comedy like it maybe once was. I I think it produces a lot of the more famous comics. Like if you look at the last ten years, there's been a lot of really famous comedians to come out of SNL. What about the last like three, four years? I mean, I don't follow it religiously, but I That's feel like... That's Exactly. I feel like people aren't like, I gotta tune in to Saturday night to see this person who's gonna be a star. I feel like it doesn't It doesn't have the star-making potential that it used to. I mean, who's... I'm trying to think of a recent... Like, Kristen Wiig is a really recent class of SNL, and she, like, is super huge. I think that was a while ago, right? That was right. going on, like, 10 years What's ago. her name? The, the lady... Amy Poehler? That's over... No, the t- no, no, no. The, the, um, the woman who's still on SNL. Leslie Jones? Now. Yeah, she's on SNL now. Yeah, but like, what did she do? She's getting big. Other than like, have people. She's in Ghostbusters. Okay, that's true. Yeah, I don't know, like I people like it's berating not... her on Twitter, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, it's not the seventies. You're not getting like it's Eddie not... Murphy, Will Ferrell, no. like you know. Well, we have in a few years. I feel like it continued. Like there were ebbs and flows. The early nineties, where there was a period before Sandler and that era, where they were really struggling. They like they've dipped and they've okay, gone up okay. and down through the years. See, that's the thing too. I don't know enough about it to be yeah. like to be up on the history. And I've never I watched like it regularly. I haven't either. And there's a lot of podcasts that we both listen to that are always they talk about they it talk a about lot. SNL a lot. And like Bill Simmons references it all the all time. the time. I remember when I first started listening to the the BS Report before it was the Bill Simmons podcast. He had Lauren Michaels on. I had no frame of reference for who the fuck Lauren Michaels was at that time. Really, he got Lauren. This was Michaels? like two years ago. Yeah, Mark Maron, big friend of the pod. He um, people forget that. People forget that he. Um, Lauren Michaels was like his white whale because he had this whole thing yeah. about how he tried out for SNL, um, and never got it, and always wondered why, like what happened, what went wrong. And so he interviewed um, Lauren Michaels. He talks about it with like so many guests. He like he brings it up. Yeah, Lauren Michaels and the whole. He seems like a dick to me, dude. Lauren Michaels yeah. seems like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he kind of does. You know what else is interesting is every SNL person has their Lauren impression. Yeah, it's like it's when, a, uh, it was it was good. Uh, when what's his name was on part of my take this yeah, week. Yeah, he, he did um, Tim Meadows. Yeah, did a Lauren yeah. impression. They all do. Anytime yeah. you ever hear. A former SNL person go on to a podcast or just be interviewed. If they're talking about Lauren, they'll do their Lauren. Yeah, and it's like this weird voice. It's like it's kind of like this. It's like this nasally uh, sort of voice like this. It seems to be almost this love hate thing with him, where it's yeah, like we respect like him, but also he's a pain in our ass. It's hard to get laughs from him. Yeah, seems like a challenging guy. I honestly I don't watch SNL regularly. At I don't all. either. I, I can't tell you the last episode I've watched. When I watch it, usually it's like one out of every th- three things I'll laugh at. The last one I watched actually was when I didn't actually watch it. I just watched certain sketches from it. Yeah. Was when Drake was a host and was he, he was good? in a few. He is good. He is good because he, I think he's just a really talented guy. Like he's been an actor before. He is musically talented. Like he isn't afraid to just be goofy and, and go for it. The sketches he were he was in were hit and miss, though. Yeah, like, the things that were written for him weren't always the best. He did the best he could with it, and That's I actually SNL, really respected though. it. That's always been yeah. SNL. I mean, they yeah. write during the week, yeah. and they get out there, and they, they do their best with these things. Sometimes they just fall on their face. Yeah. I guess sometimes in rehearsal, it's like... Something that can go amazing, and yeah. then when you get to it, it'll just be crickets. Yeah. Seems like a really stressful job. I yeah. Bill Hader, when he was on Simmons' show... We're plugging Simmons a lot today. Simmons, big friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod, Bill Simmons. Give us some love. Give us a job. Um, <laughs> Bill Hader. No, Simmons only employs like the people he knows at the ringer. People he's worked with at Grantland. He Land. had to meet him at some point. Sorry, we, we didn't work for Grantland, so we can't work for the ringer. We didn't, we didn't. So, uh, <laughs> Bill Hader was talking about how he had like a panic attack on stage. And, like during a wow. skit, and he yeah. was like holding a drink in front of his face because he was like freaked out. And the guys off stage were like, dude, get your drink. And he, was, he couldn't. And when he came off, he was telling everyone, I just had a panic attack. I couldn't move on stage. And I guess everybody was like, that's happened to me. Like, I freaked, really? remember the scene we did where we did, like, this thing and you were that. Like, I freaked out. I, I was freaking wow. out the whole time. See, I feel like SNL in that world is so high stakes and, like, you need to be your best that I feel like they wouldn't even tolerate that. Well, Bill so Hader's, like, oh, if you're going to have a panic attack, you're not going to fucking make it. Well, man. I don't think Sorry. he let it be known to, like... 
the higher ups right. or whatever. Right. I mean, I think everyone makes mistakes. He also is like a really amazing performer. Like yeah. Bill Hader was almost always on. I feel like everyone who talks about that dude says that he's like freakishly talented at yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Funny and super bad too. Funny in almost everything I've seen him in. Love that guy. He's he's my favorite character in Superbad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what's that scene with, like, Seth Rogen? It's like, never meet your, your wife at a bar, McLovin. I met my wife at a bar, and uh, on the wedding night, we found out she was an actual whore. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, wait a minute. No, it's I'm screwing it up. It's the other cop. It's Bill Hader's wife who's saying that. Yeah. And he's like, there was group sex on the wedding night. I wasn't involved. And Seth Rogen just, like, points to him and says, like, I was. <laughs> How do we get here? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Drinking too much water. Yeah. Too much agua. Um, Big show tonight. What was I going to say? Oh, it's not stifling up here. It's nice. No, it's nice, breezy. Yeah. We had closed the windows for sound, but it's cool up here. We don't, yeah. Yeah. No, it's nice and cool. We're camping this weekend. Hopefully, you know, we we don't freeze up north. Yeah, this, in fact, listeners, this, take this now as our distress call. So right now, call the police. Amber alert. Right now, call the police because we're on, we are not outdoorsmen. We're missing. We're going. We're, we're just a couple pod boys. And anyone listening, a couple report, pod guys. Just a couple pod guys doing pod stuff. Yeah. So report our report our us missing or don't because we're undoubtedly dead. Yeah, we've been long dead. Yeah. So, so. by the time you heard, hopefully this, this isn't like a foreboding. We've done this before. Dark For, comedy sort of thing. With the five k we ran. We we said that we were gonna die the next. Time. I almost threw up. Though, did you really during that? Yeah, I almost did. Well, after the fact, I had like I was like overheating. You yeah. did a good. You had a pretty good time. No, I had a shit time. It well, was okay. terrible. I mean, humble brag because you did three minutes better than me. So it was really really bad. I'm not happy with it. Unbelievable. Sorry. Just not laying off at all. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not built for speed. Yeah, we all know. I that. ran cross country in high school. I sh- I, I should have done. Better. I was a guard on the football team. So <laughs> right. if that puts it in perspective. Right. We're on opposite ends of the athleticism spectrum. Right, right. I think if anyone was wondering what we looked like who didn't know, that will give it away. They'll Do be you... like, oh, Sean's the tall, skinny one. Right. And Jake's the what? Jake, Jake's the not as tall, not as skinny one. Okay. Well played. The political answer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you fucking want me to say? I'm just kidding. You know, the ripped... <laughs> Oh, Sean's the the jacked model-looking one. Jake's the you know, not model-looking one. Jake's the one who, like, if you saw him, you'd think, like, oh, there, that guy could be an extra in a movie. He could be, like, <laughs> diner number three at the table behind. Actually, I wonder if they saw, if people who listened to us who didn't know us saw our pictures yeah. next to one another... Could they place whose voice goes to which body? I was wondering that. It's the other harder day. than you think because it is. when I got into that podcast stuff, you should know. There's two guys, Josh and Chuck. It's a similar dynamic to ours, um, except they're like they, their whole thing is a little more dry. But yeah, I didn't know whose voice was whose for a long time. I okay. didn't know who was Josh and who was Chuck. And if you're looking at pictures of us, I mean, who's I, I wonder if you would peg this voice as on your body or on mine. I, I don't know. It's impossible to say. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Good question for the listeners. Most of our listeners know us. Ryan might not. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Ryan, which of us is me and which is Sean? Yeah. Yes, based on our voice. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen our picture. Yeah. On Twitter, it's there. It's there. It's in the header. No big deal. Not a huge deal. No. All, All right. Are right, you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. All right, ready. Three, two, one. <laughs>